Hey everybody, Con Artist here. We're back for more summer fun. For those of you that uh, checked out the eclipse on Monday, the 21st, we hope you had an amazing time. For uh, some people, that's like a once in a lifetime event. Um, so, spoiler warning some of the episodes we're going to be talking about may contain spoilers. So, if you're really sensitive to spoilers, please save this cast for another time. I mean, honestly, they always right. have spoilers. Yeah, usually. Pretty so. much. So, all right, let's uh, let's just dive right in with Dan. So, you have like Miracle Vatican Scooby Doo Trinity blood. How's it? <laughs> how's it going? Now, now, wait a minute. Isn't the show over? I mean, how do you top like a ton of baby Hitlers? I'm not a hundred percent sure how you'd ever top at least two and a half baby Hitlers, but uh, the show's not really trying. It's honestly fallen a little bit uh, since then. Those heady times, but. <sighs> This time around, our uh, miracle examiners are being sent to Africa to investigate first the non-decomposing body of a man who may or may not be a saint who left a bunch of prophecies. And on top of that, there's like a murdered woman uh, from America. The CIA is involved. There's some kind of snake demon cult in the background. And it's oh, entirely... Wow. And it's entirely likely that the person... So we're back to sheer nonsense, is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, no. It was a blunt... Wait, wait, did I miss it, Dan? I'm so Like, last time, did Baby Hitlers wrap up? That was, like... Oh, did, yeah. Did they wrap that mystery up? Oh, yeah, they did. One Baby Hitler is, like, li is like living a fine life with his somewhat mentally deranged mother. Another one was burned to death, and then the cryogenically uh, frozen body of Hitler was destroyed in an explosion set by a Mossad agent. So, um, yeah... Okay, well, as long as that's all, you know, done. Totally cleared up. Yeah, everything makes perfect sense. All wrapped up in a nice little package. But no, now, now like I said, they're in Africa. There's just enough detail that nothing makes sense. Yeah. This time, at least, they're doing a better job of foreshadowing. There was a point where this guy was like, "Did you? do you need me to send that other package? And the guy's like, well... Cut to a dude getting bit by a snake, and it turns out the package he was being sent was a very specific anti-venom for that exact snake. Yes, it's absolutely contrived, but at least they showed it this time as opposed to some of the earlier ones where it's like... Convenient! Man, man thank God we took that antidote to that thing we had no reason to believe existed. Uh, yeah, that part. Uh, Just exposit all the things that we still have pictures for but forgot to plot in. Pretty much. I mean, th the show is still hot garbage. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying the... <laughs> Okay, as long as that's all set. I'm enjoying the ridic the ridiculousness of it. It's like, imagine reading a Dan, a Dan Brown novel while high on acid. That's the best description I can give, especially because now they started having the sky be like this wobbly, wobbly, like, melting picture kind of thing. And Weebly, wobbly, timey-wimey. Like, all the yeah. time it does that? Every time there's an outdoor scene, yes. I'm not entirely sure why. Also, oh. the fact that, like, they are in love with the Dutch angle. Every time you see two characters walking side by side, it's going to be Dutch angle, Dutch angle, Dutch angle. I'm pretty sure we're, like, going to end up at, like, at least 90 degrees at some point. Dan, that sounds like grounds for you to make, like, an AMV featuring all the Dutch angles of the show to some song that It would be fits. so easy, but there's so much footage. But yeah, like, before that, there had been, like, a couple of filler episodes talking about the backstory of a couple of characters we didn't really care about. Uh, we discovered that this, that one of the priests has built this entire, like, insane rotary go-type game he calls Angels and Demons and apparently car hand-carved the only existing board for it. 
Was that the thing he was playing with in episode one? What? Yes, yes. Only there's like a full mechanical version of it. It's insane. And wow. it's also, also apparently all the balls are magnetized because otherwise how the heck do they stick to the interior of a giant ring? I'm sorry, I can't think about that many longer. It's it's hurting my brain. Suffice to say, weird stuff's happening in Africa. It's getting a little bit racist, and in general, I have no idea where they're going to go from here. Huh. Well, thank goodness for all of that stuff. You're well, don't worry, Dan. I'm here to talk about restaurants. So, uh, from another world? From another world! It should be wonderful. I mean, the show continues its... Uh, yeah, it should be way better than whatever the heck Dan was talking about. Mm. It's Wacky true. Wacky Chan Adventures over there. Uh-huh. Uh, this one continues to follow its relatively simple premise. Uh, let's see, I'll, I'll summarize the episodes. In number this six... Is, uh, this is Isekai no... Uh, Shokudo. Shok yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Restaurant to Another World. Um, so in episode six, there's an argument about which dish is the best when turned into a sandwich. And this ends up involving, like... Every single character. Wait, wait, wait. In, wait. Now, know. did did all the characters from Aka Thirteen show up <laughs> and discuss the best bread no. that one should be able to use to make it? Then, oh, forget it. That would be the best crossover ever. By the way, like, if that <laughs> happened, it would pretty much make anime for this season. Uh, Yo, no one steal my idea. So so far, the arguments are minced meat cutlets versus shrimp cutlets, pork loin versus teriyaki chicken, fruit with cream versus custard. These are the three big matchups this episode. Uh, well, whoever said shrimp is dead wrong. And then, uh, meanwhile, like the elf. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm thinking like teriyaki and some of the other. Not cream. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, they're having like a dessert battle, basically. What's cream on a sandwich. Oh, what dessert sandwich? Yeah, like like strawberries and cream versus custard in a sandwich, sort of. Hmm. Wow, uh, okay. And meanwhile, the elf girl's like, I don't know what they're talking about, but can you give me some rice balls and fry them up as takeout? And the guy's like, sure. The other happy episode is a brief vignette I'll call The Joy of Potatoes, uh, in which the chef teaches the demon girl he's like has as his uh, assistant how to make potatoes taste good. Now, the episode was kind of nice because all the characters we've met so far talk with each other. So mm. like we know who they all are at this point, and now they're all interacting. But uh, otherwise, not that complicated. Number seven is another standard tale. Some admiral got stranded on an island and then he ate curry at the restaurant once a week for 20 years. <laughs> then he gets rescued and finds the place again. The other half of the episode is uh, the black dragon shows up. Like red dragon's already a customer, but uh, the black one has been hiding herself on the moon because her mere presence kills all living things. Ah, uh, and let me guess. Oh, and let me that, guess. That every, sounds rough. Every single dragon is, just takes the form of a semi-teenage semi girl. Uh, I mean, honestly, Red Dragon is like a fully adult woman, but yes, oh. Black Dragon is pretty much like a, I don't know, teenage girl. Well, I was so, half right. You were half right. Uh, she ends up really liking super spicy curry, and her and the guy, this other guy in the office get into, or the restaurant get into a curry eating contest. Uh, by the end of it, she's informed by Red that she needs to have money to buy food, so she ends up joining the restaurant as its second employee. And how is she not killing everyone by her mere presence? I guess... Yeah, like turning into human form doesn't shed scales on everything that causes everyone to die. Dan, it's fine. This restaurant is from another world, yo. I suppose so, but that doesn't mean that they stop being magical the moment they show up. No, the magic totally still works. Uh, I mean, she has telepathy, actually. She never talks out loud. She just telepathizes into everyone's head. Oi. Wow, uh, all right. So that's about it for episode seven. And in eight, uh, a mermaid and the boy she saved from drowning come for hamburg steaks, which they then eat. Uh... And that's, I mean, that's it for the first half. 
<laughs> and in the second well, half, okay. uh, Demon Girl. How uneventful. Like, yeah, it's pretty uneventful. Like Demon Girl gets who, who's been looking for a job in her own world, uh, finally gets a job uh, working actually for one of the people that also frequents the restaurant because they know each other. And so she'll be like a housekeeper or something. So that's good because that's like her story, basically, that we're the only continuity really in the show. Uh, and she gets to eat cookies, which I guess there's a bakery above the restaurant that also makes pretty fancy cookies. And so where she gets is to eat this cookies. place? Because I just want to go to it all the time. You can like have the most amazing food on not Earth and then have cookies afterwards. Exactly. And then uh, whatever the the girls like the girl whose house it is, like her sister comes by and she's like, oh, demon girl working here. I'm mildly racist against demons, but then the demon girl shares her cookies and together they overcome racism. And even though well, I'm pretty sure it, I'm pretty oh sure it gosh. doesn't work that way, but it would be nice if it did. Like <laughs> if Paula Dean and Emerald could team up and defeat racism with like country fried spaghetti, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Anyway, that'll that's... be a crossover. That's a crossover that's too intense for this lifetime. Oh yeah. So that's that's the restaurant uh, season this time. Who's next? So easy to to uh, summarize. Good gracious. It's very easy Good to gracious. summarize. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun though, like very relaxing to watch. It is. And if you want just like shots of, you know, a fork gently cutting into egg yolk and then watching egg yolk gush all over things, this is the show for you. Like high that's, that's high high detail shots of food. Talking about not at all high detailed shots of anything and not even remotely <laughs> relaxing to watch is Simpho Gear. Simpho Gear! <laughs> so let's talk about Simpho Gear, y'all. Okay, so this must is. Must um, we? Yes, we yes, must. We must. Okay, so this is Simpho Gear, season four, episodes five and six. All right, so in these episodes, uh, Team B. What's interesting is these episodes are relatively tame as far as Simpho Gear goes. So in, in these episodes, uh, Team B desperately desperately wants to join the fight because they're like we're not even real characters and it's like episode six already so the mm. show is like all right all right we'll throw you a bone now remember they can't really use their symfo gear because they don't have enough linker and they don't naturally synchronize with their symfo gear so it turns out thankfully that elf nine a character from season three is like the super de duper scientist and she's like i'm trying to chemistry linker and make more of it for you but i'm missing one ingredient i need to figure out how to like activate a certain part of the brain to get linker to work properly so she's like thank goodness i have this inception machine in the back room of my science lab maria i'm gonna go into your brain and search through your memories and how you use symfo gear in order to determine what part of the brain needs to be stimulated by linker to get you guys to be able to use your Simfo gear again. And my idea of just hitting him with a taser now and then did not uh, did not come to fruition then. Didn't didn't. Actually, it's funny out. you should say taser because whenever they like are in their Simfo gear, they're like getting zapped all the time. Like they look like electricity is shooting everywhere, and they're like ah desynchronizing. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So, Dan, no, unfortunately, tasing doesn't work in this case. You wish. Hmm. You wish, but no. Team Neapolitan. <laughs> you know, they, they need more. So, Elf-9 goes into Maria's brain and just starts, like, jumping through her memories. Now, really quick, even though I don't like to talk about stuff from before, in Season 3, Maria had this, like, miniature arc where she realized that her strength oh was the fact that she's basically a loser. It's true. She's like, I suck really bad. And 
the fact that I acknowledge that I suck is a strength in and of itself. So that's my strength. Like, there's a whole episode about this in season three. Uh, so in, uh... in more stupid fashion, Maria realized, so first of all, you they realize that the part of the brain that needs to be stimulated is love, which doesn't make sense. The secret ingredient like, was love, Dan. What's it was love, oh, Dan. Of course it They're was. They're like, we need to stimulate the part of your brain that wants to protect and take care of others. In other words, love. And they're all screaming like, I, you know, like, oh, it's love. Hope, so anyway, hope you like dopamine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I hope you guys like, like, you know, friggin' LSD. So anyway, they, they, they get the linker to work. But to do this, like, Maria meets, like, Dr. Ver in her back. head. He's He's back for this one episode. And he's like, hey, it's me. You see, you need to dig to the deepest parts of your memory. And I am forever lodged in your memory. And you're like, what? why would Maria even remember him hey, and if, I think if we the have best to part is Maria's him. like, why am I even remembering this guy, Elf Nine? And Elf Nine's like, uh, I've got a mm. semi-plausible reason. Hey, if, yeah, if we think, have to remember I, I him, if we have to remember him, then she has to too. Yeah, exactly. It's like the show can't let him go or something. In in my opinion, it's probably because she like acknowledges that he had some skill because he was the only one who could keep like friggin' I called her Piratey Anne, but mom alive and the only one who crafted linker like he was a pretty brilliant scientist and the show keeps reminding you of that so maybe that's why he's there so i don't know anyway he he appears he's stupid he says lots of stuff and then disappears and maria has to dig into the deepest parts of herself where she's like i'm so worried about failing all the time oh it's it's okay because that failure is what drives me to protect others Oh, and then she remembers that like mom used like took all these kids into this facility and beat them what? to try and get them. Yeah, she used to beat them with this little paddle to try and get them to learn combat training and try and make them into vessels of Fine. And so she's like, oh my goodness. So there was an episode previously where she met this woman who grows tomatoes and this woman was like, my tomatoes are the best in the land because I put them in harsh conditions. Apparently like the harsher the conditions a tomato grows in, the sweeter it gets or something. So this is an analogy for Maria's life. And she's like, yes, I can be strong because mom used to beat me. And all of this adversity that she helped create in my life makes me strong. And I was like, did you just... Show, did you just endorse, like, pseudo-domestic violence? Like, what is this awfulness? Like, they can never get Maria's damn motivation right. It's so bad. And she's just, like, convinced. She's like, yes. Mom was so sad when she hit us, but she did it anyway. So, my adversity is my strength. And I was like, Maria, it's just over for you. It's just, I'm so done with your character. Anyway, in these tame episodes, we learned that, like, love is a part of your brain, apparently. You can stimulate it with Linker, and y'all can now wear Simpho gear. So, they I am impressed that the show stuck to the fact that they're still not synchronized with their gear. They still have to take the Linker. So It only took a season and a half. Yeah, I mean, they're still not stabilized. They still have to take the linker to do anything. So I was like, all right, show, way to commit. But anyway, they, these were pretty mild episodes as far as everything goes. But the Inception machine was running full force. The lesson here, kids, is drugs are cool. Drugs are cool and, like, violence is fine as long as you come out, find the other end. It's so awful. Just don't ever listen to that. <laughs> do not listen to the morals of Symphokir. 
I know. Jeez, come on. Just listen to the pop music. Eat lightning, crap thunder. Guys. Yes, do that. Oh, uh. my goodness. Great. Anyway, that was a lot about Symphogear. So who wants to talk about other stuff that isn't nearly as good as Symphogear? I can be very brief and say that I dropped Princess Principal. Oh, that's too Did bad. you? I kind of yeah. like it. Around episode... You know, you sounded like you weren't having too much fun in the end. Not really. I just, I couldn't get into any of the characters. The setting was really the only thing keeping me there. And it just, every episode was essentially a backstory episode about each member of the team. And I was getting sick of not having any forward momentum. Basically, the episode, the last episode I saw in full, I think was five, whichever one it was where we did the backstory to the ninja girl, which was just so dumb. Like, there's a, there's this whole thing, it's almost like a train heist, but it's an assassination, like, she's there to protect one of the Japanese ambassadors to, you know, not England, and her father is this, turns out to be this master assassin, and she has to fight him, but... The fight's really kind of lame, the animation isn't nearly as good as it was in the first couple of episodes, and then at the very end, it's like, alright, we like we went through this whole train adventure today, and by the time the sun has set, they have somehow buried him, covered him with, undisturbable, with undisturbed earth, erected a headstone, and she is now praying in front of it. It's like, it takes a really long time to dig a hole big enough to, fill, to fit a man. Dan, doesn't the girl have gravity power? She can just grab the earth and throw it. Uh, they never demonstrate that, at least not that I've seen. She can only, uh, like, jump around and fly for limited times on herself. Like, she never, uh... She threw a car in the first episode! Did she throw a car? I thought An she just... An entire car! Hmm. I thought she just lifted her, uh, lifted herself and it. She didn't throw the thing, but, eh, I don't... I, this... Dan blocked that Fast and Furious he, nonsense he did. from his brain. He did. Clearly. Like I said, it wasn't making that much of an impression of an impression after a while. And then I realized that the next episode was going to be the backstory to the only character I cared about. And even that wasn't enough to introduce uh, any, like, level of just involvement in it at that point. So... Now, Dan, did you feel like at all, like, they were trying to do that to either A, steer the plot into character drama territory, or B, like get you to care about these girls because something terrible is going to happen to them later? I don't know about that part, but I certainly know I certainly felt like they were trying to get me to care about these characters, but I would have much rather it be through their actions and then we get to see like right, more... Right, through this copious backstory. Yeah, and then we get to see, like, later on, it's like, oh, okay, we've learned a bunch about this this character, but why are they like this? I would, I would have made... It would have made more sense for that to be sprinkled throughout the show rather than all of it being front-loaded into the first five, six episodes. And that's all they were doing. Like, I do, It also really doesn't help they don't clearly show when each of these people joined or do them in any sort of... Yeah, the beginning of every episode has both an episode number and a case number, so it appears that the episodes are not in chronological order. Right, and I find that it's completely unnecessary. There's no reason to do it that way. It doesn't seem to be playing out as part of the greater story. We're not learning about characters like as they become relevant to the current plot. We're just learning about each of them in turn, but those turns are completely sporadic. Yeah, well, narratively, it almost sounds like a like a D&D game, you know? Like, this is this character and her backstory and her stats and she can lift a car. Pretty much, yeah. And I just couldn't be bothered to care. I wasn't going to spend more time watching a show that I was 
barely enjoying it. I I mean, it's not, a t- again, I will reiterate, it's not a terrible show. It just could not hold my interest, and the narrative was getting me nothing at that point. Well, folks, I'll tell you all about it at the end of the season. So look forward to that, because I'm going to keep following it. I did pick up... Sounds like a plan. I did pick back up with uh, Chicago no Altair, which was on break for a couple of of weeks, and only had one new episode, episode five, since last we reviewed. And it's still totally serviceable. It's not bad at all. Uh, Still liking the general art direction. Um, We're introduced to a new nation that's basically Phoenicia slash, like, a remnant of some ancient Greek civilization and they control like this great lighthouse and this very important port city and our hero who has now been demoted is traveling to them to sort of experience more of the world and learn what it means to, you know, learn, learn what he's going to be responsible for if he ever reattains his previous rank. And he gets caught up in all kinds of like subterfuge and whatnot. And, it's actually pretty well handled. He he's invited in by this dude who then basically uses his presence to manipulate a vote to go his way and it's you know, it's politicking. About the only thing that I can say against it is that similar it has one similarity to a Vatican Miracle Examiner and that's that everything is treated with extreme levels of gravitas. There's very little levity or like moments to breathe the moment that any character is talking like the high tension music kicks up and everyone's like really focused on each other and like everyone's like you know they've got the serious eyes on and there's not a single moment where anyone's saying anything casually it's all like it's the most important thing ever whatever happened to that dancing girl from episode reminds two? me of that um freaking amv like the best like the the most amazing day ever or something oh, like that, that one, yeah. It is. yeah it's like pompeii music to just everybody like brushing their teeth and waking up in the morning oh yeah, yeah like the most the most uh the most amazing thing in the entire world ever or something it's called yeah something if you like put dramatic yeah, okay, if you put dramatic music it. in front of anything it seems like it has more meaning and to their right it looks really dramatic to their credit they are you know they're discussing things of great import but there's no break from that. And that's the only thing that I can really say is a strike against the show is that there's no variety. There's no juxtaposition of like the lighthearted stuff and the more serious stuff anymore. Maybe that's just a one episode fluke as they're getting back into things. We'll see. Now, Dan, really quick. I know um, I had looked at the art of Altair and, uh, before picking it up and uh, the lead character is 100% like not even remotely drawn properly. He's like Turkish and I think he's like Oh, he 150% is. Caucasian. He is super blonde. To their credit, how, yeah, to, it, the, to their credit, however, it seems like he's from an ethnic subgroup, and they're all like that. So, at the very least, it's consistent. But I totally okay. I was just gonna ask you. You're you're saying that they're introducing new groups now, like the Phoenicians or the Greek. Like, is that happening everywhere? Or is it just like him and his subgroup? Are they actually like? doing the character art properly as far as you can tell or just as like everybody caucasian now it's super it's like a super fast and loose uh fantasy version of um of oh there it the the time period is really difficult to nail down like some things make it look like it's the early renaissance but other stuff is very clearly inspired from earlier in the uh in our current timeline so it's a bit of a mess when it comes to pinpointing exactly when this is supposed to be taking place or at least an equivalent but it, it's fantasy versions of all of these uh, nations. You know, fantasy Germany, fantasy Turkey, fantasy Greece. And 
they don't really, like, there is no consistent ethnicity for almost anyone, though a bunch of the folks in the Greek city-states are so ter- I can't tell if they're just terribly drawn or if their faces look like those statues on Easter Island, just naturally. It's kind of weird. Hmm. But yeah, wow, I, okay. I would have appreciated it more if they had actually gone for distinct ethnicities, but they're kind well, of they just had go- those. Who are those nomad people? Like, they were different. That's true. The uh, they, they were like uh, darker skinned, very um, specific, like subset. They all had the same kind of uh, skin like and hair dress. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they do that to a degree, but now they're going much more cosmopolitan, which sort of makes sense since they're in this big trade city that all sorts of different people come to. But the people who are ethnically uh, of that city are still kind of a mixed bag, which I guess is just the kind of thing that happens after centuries of uh, inviting new people in and people coming out. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Neat. I would have preferred it if they had stuck closer to the uh, to the actual geography that they were mimicking, but yeah, they're not like doing a terrible job of it. Oh, good. All right, Scott. How's the knights and the magic? The knights. The The magic building, Uh, yo. uh, Ernesti's adventure continues. So uh, last time, like the lab had, like the the country's lab had sort of taken delivery of his newest mech, and this episode he's challenged to build another new mech and then challenge the lab who has, like, essentially streamlined the mech he gave them. Uh, And the king's plan in doing this is to get the lab to sort of break out of their shell, because they haven't done anything interesting in a hundred years, and to take any of the cool designs Ernesti comes up with and sort of polish them, because they're all really rough. Uh, And so there's a lot of focus on that, the creation of the prototypes, there's a lot of new characters, intros, various tech demos, and a lot of world building about the Occidental countries, which are sort of like the ones that are like this country protects all of them from the demon beasts. So we're setting up a lot of stuff this episode. So it's pretty dense, but I guess not a huge amount happens. Uh, episode seven, on the other hand, is entirely pretty much like I would say three fourths of it is the mock battle between the lab's new mech, the lab's old mech and his new mechs. So he made like a mech that can fly with thrusters. He's got a four legged centaur mech. He has fancy like transforming equipment for his other ones. So he's getting these pretty cool designs, but he's fighting against more experienced pilots with streamlined, like, stabilized designs. It was kind of a cool battle to watch. Interesting stuff. Ends in a draw. Um, and then the king just steps down. He's like, I'm done being king. Uh, my, my son's going to take over. Uh, meanwhile, Ernesti, can you build me I'm and my... I'm just going to go, like, sail around in my yacht now. Oh, no. He's like, Ernesti, I want you to build me and my grandson, the prince, like, personalized, super sweet mechs. And that seems like, rather suspicious when he's handing off yeah, power what? to his son. Is his son a jerk? No, his son's also great. Like, all huh. these guys are great. Everyone is just upstanding and perfect. Uh, <laughs> it's actually almost frustrating. so? Well, it's almost like yeah, anyone, it, anyone who's a bad guy, like, or even vaguely, like, gonna hold things up, Ernesti just overcomes with, like, pure enthusiasm, huh. or they're already good people. Uh... So anyway, he makes these awesome mechs for his uh, the king and his grandson. Like, just boom, he's done making them. Time just skips real fast. Uh, and they're basically the same mech, but one is gold and one is silver. And the, the princes, they're both like, I want the gold one. So they have a mock <laughs> battle to determine who gets to own the gold one. Uh, which was also pretty cool. So, like, this is a battle-heavy episode. And uh, it's nice to finally get something besides Ernesti is so amazing. Like, we're watching other characters do stuff. Last there's episode now, eight. So Scott, really quick, yeah. where does the like central conflict come from in this show? It's like everyone's we, like a really good person, and is it just like watching Ernesti build some mechs? 
it's watching Ernesti be amazing. And like earlier, there was that thing where some other nation showed up and stole the new mech. So like, I think that's going to build to something. Plus there's the demon beasts who threaten the country as a whole. Uh, but Oh, I like totally missed the fact that there were demon beasts. Yeah, their their country basically exists to protect the rest of the world from demon beasts that are generated within its borders. Uh, yet none of those things have really proven to be a serious problem at all for Ernesti. And in fact, in episode eight, we are back to Ernesti is so amazing, so hard. Hmm. Uh, the demon beasts are actually attacking the secret village where the country makes its reactors for the uh, mechs. So he goes in there, he saves the day with his new squad and their awesome mechs. And then the king's like, you know what? I promised you the ability to make your own reactor and you've proven yourself. You can have the secret. The secret ingredient is elves. Hmm. So like whole elves or love? the souls of elves? Or? No, elves basically are the only people long lived enough and with the knowledge to both shape mithril with magic and create artificial blood that runs these things. Huh. Uh, and that's kind of what the reactors are made out of. And so I'm disappointed it's not love. I'm just saying. I'm it's disappointed not it's not some kind of terrible secret, like actually having to cram elves in there. Nope, they just No man, Dan, that was his show last time, okay? He can only strip the souls of people <laughs> so much. Fair it's enough. true. This one's this one's much happier. So, like, again, took it takes hundreds of years to learn this technology, and only the elves can do it. Uh Ernesti masters all elf tech in three months. Oy. Uh, and then proceeds to build of himself. Of course he does. Of course he does. And then he builds himself a custom mech with dual reactors powered by Behemoth and Dragon Hearts, respectively. Uh, so I have no idea what could possibly challenge this kid at this point, but he's definitely ready for whatever it's going to be. So I imagine at this point, like he's achieved his dream. He built his own custom mech. This has been his dream for the whole show. Now there'd better be a conflict. I've decided this show is basically just like, Ernesti war on Mechanar. Like, that's basically <laughs> what you're watching right now. At least he seems like he's more interesting than what's-his-face. He is more interesting. He's just so darn earnest about everything. Like, you can't stay angry at the kid. No one can. Uh-uh. So... I that, bet Dan could. <laughs> Dan can almost certainly find a way to be angry at Ernesti. But uh, that's about it for that show. I mean, it's By um, God, I'll the try. Con- the conflict should be starting any episode now. Like, he's got all the things. I would hope so. Is this a 13er? I think so. I think so. All right. Well, then, yeah, we need some conflict right about now. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Anyone else got anything? Yeah, uh, I'll end really quick with uh, welcome to the ballroom. So um, I want to make sure I, I have everyone's understanding of who's who's who, because I'm going to start talking about who's coupled with who, and you're going to get lost really quick. So the uh, the lead character is Tatara. The super de duper awesome pair is uh, arch rival guy Hyodo and lead heroine Shizuku. Uh, we were recently introduced to a brother sister pair, not in a creepy way, dance pair um, called. Jeez, uh, Momo is the girl, and oh, it's something. It was something begins with a G. I can't remember now. Oh, I was hoping it was Taro. That would be amazing. That yeah, no, that would have been hilarious. Um, Momo Taro. Yeah, Momotaro, right. No, it's like it's like Garu, I think. So it's huh. not like a heck of a far off. But anyway, so yeah, I think it's Garu. And so uh, anyway, the the now that Shizuku is partnerless because Hyodo hurt his leg and he's out right now, um, Garu's like, my sister is really short and not sexy, so I'm going to pair up with Shizuku because I can. So Tatara's like, no, that's that's not cool. You can't do that. 
So he he tries to step in and sort of block for her, but Shizuku is in this weird, like, I don't care who I pair up with, so sure, I'll pair up with you, which leaves the sister all alone. So Tatara has paired up with the sister, and to uh, break Garo and Shizuku apart, uh, the... The teacher this is so guy. complicated already. It's so complicated, right? The teacher guy was like, all right, Tatara, I'm going to teach you some rad steps, and you're going to go win at this cup, and you're going to challenge Garu, and if he loses, if you can win, then he needs to step down as Shizuku's partner. So the, the execution is coming into play. So the show has really stepped away from really teaching you how to dance in any way, shape, or form. It's still teaching Aww. you the concepts of dance and how dance competitions work. So in episode six, we got to see, like, in a really crowded ballroom floor, how a bunch of couples dance. Because, like, Tatara is just slamming into everybody. And the show teaches you that if you're watching very carefully, all couples move counterclockwise around the ballroom in their own little space. And they eventually just sort of by nature learn where the other couples are moving. So everyone sort of like creates a territory is what it's called. But they're all secretly moving counterclockwise around the space. Huh. So you learn little like tidbits about how ballroom dance works. Uh, we get to see like the foxtrot and the quick step. So we learned a little bit more terminology. Um, I think the, the only part I'm really struggling with is uh, several episodes back, we were taught that being a couple in ballroom dance is almost akin to being in a marriage. Like you really have to understand your partner thoroughly, how they move. They need to be able to react to you improving. So like now it's, it's like a, the wife swap episode? No, no, it's not really the wife swap episode. It's more like, so Sengoku, who's the teacher, he like lectures Tatara that he needs to be in command. He's like, so the man's role is the leader. So he's like, you need to be the leader. Like, you need to understand your partner and you need to be able to guide her. She's there just to be the follower. So like the whole episode almost teaches you like, if you're a really good ballroom dancer as a man, you're kind of like a pimp. Like you could pick any woman and be able to have her follow your steps because she's simply supposed to follow you. So it was this weird deviation from understand your partner, she's almost like your marriage partner, to if you're a good enough male dancer, you could basically be a pimp and have any woman follow you. So I didn't really quite know what the show was shooting for in that way. It like gave a very mixed message in terms of what it was trying to get Tatara and me, the viewer, to understand. So I was kind of like, what What was that all about? Like, it was a weirdly misogynistic moment. Mm. Um, but anyway, episode, episode 7, because I'll be talking about 6 and 7, I don't know if I mentioned that, but in 7, um, we do get to see them enter this cup and, you know, really try and take off and try and do well and... Um, I mean, Tatara and Momo are doing fairly well so far. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of pull it off because Garu, for all of his dickishness, is a very talented dancer. So it's going to be interesting to see how they are able to beat out the power couple. But um, so far, I really, really enjoy it, aside from the weird mixed messagey piece. Uh, it's, it's neat to see Tatara kind of come into his own, and despite the fact that he has this incredible muscle memory skill where he can like watch a dance and then somehow emulate it. He's still like that doesn't get him total victory in ballroom dance, as they ex end up explaining to you in in episode seven. They're like it takes a lot more than just being able to like mimic someone else's dance. You need to you need to have 
either original choreography of your own or you need to have you need to have a style and uniqueness and soul all your own so i think that it's gonna be a journey to see how he finds that once he inevitably has the the partner he's supposed to have but so far the show is really interesting it's really fun uh they are teaching you a lot about ballroom dance and that's usually what i come into a sports anime for and all the characters are really interesting so still high on my Hmm. recommendation list very good very good Huh. All righty. So, anybody got anything else, or is that the finale? That wraps it up for me. No, no one. All right. I no, guess we're. I got nothing. We're f- nope. finishing out. So, uh, Brendan wasn't able to join us next time. I know you guys are all like traumatized. You haven't heard more about cheer fruits. Cheer so fruits, we'll, everyone. We'll definitely make sure we talk about that next time. It should uh, maybe take the place of all that BS that's happening in Simfo Gear. Anywho, no, never. You love it too much, Scott. It's you so love good. Dr. Ver too much. That's why he appears in your dreams. No. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you next time. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.